0: all for that. And uh, please hang around and, and enjoy the, the beautiful evening. Okay, now we're ready. Pat, you're going to fire me up there? Okay, here's the recording. Welcome, special Mother's Day sermon. That's how I start. May 9th, 2010. Is it really? Oh, thank you, Jennifer. Redundancy is never a bad thing. Okay, here we go again. Welcome. Special Mother's Day sermon. Is it really going to be a special Mother's Day sermon? Uh, at the very end, right after the book of Steve's so Mother's Day portion, if we can last that long, Eric complains that no matter when we start church, I still go the same amount of time. And he's not paid enough to stay here five hours. Lori and I would be thrilled if we could just stay here five hours. (laughs) Never mind. All right. May 9, 2010, lecture discussion number 23 on Zechariah 11, Proverbs 6, Matthew 12, John 13, Revelation 6, and of course others, as you know. And let me just say, last Sunday, what did I do? Those of you who were here. I pretty much answered all of the Judas questions. I did. I did it in a very subtle way, but I answered them all. They're all answered. All the big ones, at least. I'm going to rework them a bit again today because this is a special Mother's Day sermon. But I really did answer them all, didn't I? Who was here? Who understood that I answered them all? That's not good news, necessarily. (laughs) We took on Luke 22:1 through6, uh, why the Pharisees rejoiced at Judas's plan. Because Luke 22: 1 through6 really does begin to give you the conferencing or the discussion group or the planning that went on between Judas and the Pharisees. And they rejoiced at Judas's plan. They, they were glad, they were delighted. they were celebrating. I called them dancing about the room." Because they had a plan they knew would do what? It would work. And up to this point, they had no idea what to do. And we also discussed why the Pharisees feared the people. They wanted to do everything, They at least when they got a hold of Christ. If they were able to have him handed over. And he didn't just walk through them like he always would. And they actually had possession of him. They wanted to do that in the absence of the multitude. That's critically important. So they needed to know where he was and they needed to know that, in fact, it would be successful. And what Judas wanted in exchange for his plan, because he goes to them and he comes to them with this incredible plan. He just wants one thing from them. What's he want? He wants that Zechariah 11, 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 21, Exodus 31, 1 through 15, silver, blood, atonement, ransom, census of David, wages of the good shepherd, money. That's what he wants. And he got it. They exchanged that money for that plan. And then Judas would take the silver blood atonement, ransom, census of David, wages of the good shepherd money, and where would he put it? He put it in the money box. Why? He wants to keep it with him. Does Christ know the ransom, census, silver blood atonement, wages of the good shepherd money is in the money box? Yeah, he does. He's omniscient God. Does Judas know that Christ knows? That is the interesting question. That's what we'll keep discussing today. But we last week discussed the conferencing, as I said, that occurred between Judas and the Pharisees, the priests, the scribes and the captains. Okay, and where the plan was purchased and discussed and rehearsed and what they did at all those meetings as best we could. How to avoid the multitude. Why and how to get the Romans involved. Why do they want the Romans involved? How are they going to get the Romans involved? Why do they want the Romans involved? I'll ask you why. They want the Romans involved. Very important to them. So they gotta manipulate the Romans into doing this. How are they gonna do that? Judas had a plan. Why though? Ask yourself, why do they want the Romans? And how to transfer. Once they get the Romans to agree to take Christ, obviously the plan was what? Judas's plan was to declare him a what? An insurgent. A terrorist, if you will. And the Romans would then take him and do what with him? Crucify him, right? That's what the, uh, thank you for turning that off, or if it went off by itself. Thank you for electronics. But anyway, they've got to get the Romans to do this. They've got to transfer Christ to the sucker Romans, essentially, and get, them, get Christ away from them and hope that the Romans deal with him. Now, what they thought would happen, the Pharisees, the priests, the captains, the scribes, what they thought would happen to Christ, and what Judas thought would happen, not the same thing. And I'll explain that in a minute. But they had to make certain that it gets to the Romans. And then they had this elaborate temple procession. And I drew that on the board. You have a whole bunch of people coming here. This procession. And they have Christ. And He is bound. And that shocked them. And they're leading Him. And that shocked them. And then they stop the procession. And there's Christ. And Judas comes in and throws the silver to the temple. in Potter in front. And then gives his speech in front of a multitude of people. All watching this. As they are turning him over to the Romans. And they've got to get the Romans to go for it, don't they? How easy was that? Pilate wanted. He wanted anything to do with this? They knew that was going to be trouble. <coughs> Excuse me. And then, of course, where are we going to surround him? Because how do you surround somebody and walk through you? That's the real problem. Okay, here's our plan. We're going to surround him. Okay, here's an objection. Objection. Floor recognizes the brilliant genius Steve. Gosh, you got to like the sound of that. I didn't even know they knew me, the people that did that cartoon. I just didn't know. Anyway, how are they going to get... Him surrounded. Because somebody's going to say, last time we surrounded this guy, he walks through us. We, I mean, we're standing there boom, right through us. He has control of things that we can only imagine. Christ has control of the subatomic diameter. That would make sense to me. How do you capture somebody? How do you throw a net over somebody that can go through the net? How do you throw a net over somebody that is outside of time? So, clearly, this is going to be a difficult achievement. How is it that Judas convinced them that the plan would work? What details did he have to give them where he was able to convince them, we'll surround him, we'll surround him at Gethsemane, this is going to work? And they believed him. And they gave him the wages. See, I would obviously go. I don't think this is gonna work. Guy, go right through us and disappear outside of time. Seems like it, anyway. What did he say to them in that meeting where they said, "You know what? This is gonna work." Now, and what did Judas want? What's the price? All of that he gave them all the details, and all he wanted the price paid the cost of this plan, all he wanted was that blood money that second samuel twenty four david's census money, and the key to the census of David, why God brought the plague on Israel when David counted he had a census, and of course, uh, God immediately said no and attacked, if you wish to call it that, but actually he intervenes because he says you can 't count without the salvation blood of Christ, that's what's going on in Second Samuel 24, Exodus 30, and Zechariah 11. Judas wants that blood money. Now, after last Sunday, it should be clear that I subscribe to the position that the actions, the words, the locations of Judas and the Pharisees were all thought through, meticulously considered, that this is a conspiratorial event. With a lot of planning, everybody's got a schematic, everybody's got a blueprint, everybody has a a script, everybody knows what everybody else is doing, sort of. Very little happenstance in all of that. I say sort of because... Somebody knows more than everybody else with respect to the Pharisees and Satan slash Judas. But Satan and slash Judas, Judas with Satan inside of him, was leaving nothing to chance and no surprises. Everything's choreographed with the exception of the betrayal. And that should be obvious to you. As I said, Jesus Christ is omniscient God. He's outside of time. He's outside of the created order. Uh, He's outside of time, space, matter, and energy. And that logically means that he is the creator of space, matter, time, and energy. You'll figure that out as you... As you go along, logic so demands that the one who is outside of the created order must be the creator of the created order. And Jesus Christ cannot be betrayed. He cannot be. Omniscience cannot be deceived. When you're outside of time, you can't be betrayed. It makes no logical sense. So it's not possible that Jesus Christ can be betrayed. That's why the Greek always says, hand over or deliver. It never calls Judas a betrayer. Never. We do it because why? The translators do it because why? It's the deity of Christ problem. Jesus Christ cannot be deceived. It's not possible. So, is there going to be anybody else deceived? Anybody else in the plan going to be deceived? I can't deceive Christ. Can I deceive the apostles? Oh, yeah. Dumb as a box of rocks, right? Piece of cake. And they prove it. Hey, and they write about themselves being stupid. Next time you write your autobiography, write down, Steve is an idiot. Chapter 1. That's what they did. They really understood that. So the apostles and the disciples could be deceived. Were they deceived? Yeah, Judas pulled them all. Did Christ lose any of them? No, that's an eternal security issue, and that's another doctrine we have no time for today. But that's a covenant dispensational fight as well, that Jeffy told But eternal security is at stake there. Christ isn't going to lose anybody. But anyway, the apostles, the disciples, they could be betrayed, they could be deceived, they could be fooled, and they were. Christ cannot be. Who else is there at the party at Gethsemane? The Romans are there. Are they deceived? Does Judas have every intention with Satan inside of him to betray the Romans? Yeah, he does. How about the Pharisees? Oh, yeah. How about the Sadducees and the scribes and the captains, the Levite temple guard? Are they going to be deceived? Yes, absolutely they are. They're going to be deceived. They're going to be fooled. They're going to be betrayed. They're going to be double-crossed. They're going to be lied to. They've already been lied to. (coughs) So that's the obvious question. How exactly does Judas intend to double-cross and betray them? Because they think something's going to happen. And he doesn't think it is. And what I think is ironic is that what he told the Pharisees, in order to get the money from them, of what was going to happen and why. He didn't have any idea it was going to happen that way at all. He thought the opposite was going to happen. But what he said did, in fact, I'm not sure he said it, but what they believed were going to happen did, in fact, happen, much to the shock of Judas slash Satan. I'll get to that in a minute. But what exactly was the content of the betrayal, the deception? What was Judas slash Satan going to do? What was he expecting? What were they expecting? How was this... Gethsemane thing going to end? What was the intended end game of it? When did Judas and Satan realize that their plan was flawed, that it's not going the way they thought it was going, but it may be going the way that they told people it would go? When did they realize, we have a problem Houston? And if so, when and how did they respond to it? And then, of course, you got to ask, what's the difference then between the original plan and the reactive response that Judas and Satan have? How fast did they respond once They realized things were going bad. I liken it to concrete work. You have a wonderful form. You've got your wall levelers there. Your six by sixes holding it up. Everything looks good. And then somebody over vibrates it. Have we ever had this problem, Bill? And what happens to your concrete form when the guy with the stinger keeps stinging? If Louis was here, Louie would be laughing now. What happens? Pretty soon you get 100 pounds of concrete in a two-pound bag, and the wall begins to bow and begins to break, and it's coming apart. And you have to respond really fast. We used a forklift, and we slammed a forklift up against it. And it held, sort of, except for this part. And you can push concrete when it's green, and you can get it to go back into shape. And the biggest wall I ever bent... It was probably, who was 12 foot high and 60 foot long. And it bent like this. So we stripped the forms and we dug it out and we pushed it back. And it snaps right into place. It's really cool. That's why you use lots of rebar. Anyway. You have to move fast. And when you see it's not working, you've got to be on it. And that's what I think happened. You're talking about Satan and Judas. When they began to see that their original plan wasn't going exactly as they had expected, they had a reactive response. And what I want to know, where is the point of demarcation? Where is it that they saw something is awry? Not what we expected. We must change we've got to do something different in other words what part of the plan remained in the plan what part of the plan was deplanned i wrote dead planned because i thought that was funny at the time i'm checking now no apparently it wasn't funny at all so the question became do we have a plan and do we have a replan we do what's the difference which was which Was the throwing of the silver, the stopping of the procession and the speech, was that in the original plan that Satan and Judas gave to the Pharisees and the captains and the scribes and the priests? Was Satan and Judas delivering their speech, all of that in the original plan? Or is that in the contingency plan, Operation C6? Some are pretty obvious. The handover at Gethsemane was clearly what? Plan A or Plan B? Clearly Plan A. The kiss, Plan A or Plan B? Plan A. It matches the piece of bread. Bringing the priests, the captains, the uh, scribes and the Romans and and, and all of those guys. Is that Plan A? That's Plan A. And after that, we've got to consider each event very carefully. When did Satan and Judas carefully, cunningly, shrewdly conceive their, I'm sorry, when did their carefully uh, conceived scheme begin to unravel? When did the wheels come off exactly? At what point? I think everything's going good. I'm going to go up and he's going to stand there. Obvious question, why is Christ going to stand there and let Satan and Judas approach him? They knew Christ would stand there and they would go up there and this kiss would be made. They knew that. How did they know that? They knew Christ would wait. How did they know that? When did the wheels, though, come off? At what point did they begin to adjust? And what are those adjustments? Okay? Okay. Now, remember, begin with Satan and Judas having united. They're melded together. They're tremendously powerful. They're pure evil. Their behavior is absolute treachery. That's how you know that they're going to take it. They're going to wipe out the people who believe in them the most, right? And after they wipe them out, they have a plan. After everyone there is dead, and they expect everyone there to be dead. I believe that. I think I can prove it. So Judas and Satan thought that all those Romans, all those Jews, they brought the captains, the scribes, they brought everybody that they wanted there, and they thought they would all be dead. And they knew they wouldn't be. How'd they know that? I'm hearing somebody yell or talk in the background. Who is it? Okay, could somebody go back there and say... Tell him to go downstairs, please. Thank you. So remember that Satan and Judas, they have this tremendous power and combined with absolute treachery. Their thought process, their intellectual capabilities are both perverse and extraordinary. And no one has ever existed like Judas and Satan. They are distinct and unique in all of history when they were melded and combined together. So keep that in front of you at all times and be very, very suspicious of everything they do and say because their plan is to what? kill somebody and it might be you so be aware of that who are who's the target who are they trying to kill and how do they want to kill them so keep that in front of you at all time add the conspiratorial aspect and what i mean by that again is everyone who was believing that they were a part of the plan everyone that believed they were going to benefit from judas's success okay is going to ha- what's going to happen to them zechariah 11:16 their flesh is going to be torn off of them. If you want to follow Judas, you want to follow Satan, he, his intention is to destroy you. Zechariah 11.16 says that the, that the worthless shepherd or the evil shepherd or the idle shepherd, whichever way you wish to do it, will tear the flesh off of his sheep and crush them. That's his plan. But here's the dumb sheep, as Bill likes to call dingleberries. What what do you say? Mucus in front and dingleberries in back, right? That's the sheep. They're following Judas. They think they're going to get something. What are they going to get instead? Torn to pieces. That's his plan for them. And that's why don't forget. They didn't read, don't forget that treachery that he has. That's where Proverbs 6 description of him. He's in the background manipulating the death of everybody that's following him. They didn't read the fine print, the followers. They didn't notice the clause where they are deceived, betrayed, and slaughtered. Um, And this is where we end up with what theologians call the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Because descriptions... Of the battle of the great day of God Almighty, also called what? What's it also called? Armageddon. The campaign of Armageddon. There's eight stages of the battle of Armageddon, and descriptions of Armageddon are everywhere in Scripture. Why am I bringing this up? Judas would know, wouldn't he? Satan would know about Armageddon, right? They would know. They would be students of Armageddon. And so they would look at all the descriptions. They would look at Joel. They'd look at Psalms. They'd look at Isaiah. They'd look at Jeremiah. They'd look at Zechariah 12. For goodness sakes, if they're reading Zechariah 11, they would certainly read Zechariah 12. They'd look at Hosea, Micah, Judges, Ezekiel, Habakkuk. Everywhere. They would know about the description of Armageddon. Because what do they think is going to happen? There, here we are. There's the timeline. There's Gethsemane. What do they think is going to happen next? They know. They know what's going to happen next. There's a great scripture in Revelation that says Satan is cast to the ground and he knows how much time. What's the implication? Prior to that, he wasn't sure. They thought they were sure right here. I believe they thought they had it all worked out. They didn't see something because there's something, as Jeff pointed out, that's not in the Old Testament. No one knew about it. And we're in it now. Anyway, you'd have thought somebody of the Pharisees' ilk would read Joel, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Hosea, Micah, Judges, Ezekiel, Abba and they would point out the problem. They would say, hey, wait a minute. If we side with the worthless shepherd, it says right here in Zechariah, what's going to happen to us? we We don't want to do this. How did he convince them? Somebody would have noted the blessing of the 1335th day. You've heard me talk about that, the 75-day interval. Okay, or the 75th day, the blessing of the 75th day. What happens in that interval? It's not good for goats. It's bad news for goats. So if you're in the goat group and you run into the Messiah, you're in a lot of trouble. You're in trouble no matter. If you're in the goat group, who kills you? The Antichrist does. And if he doesn't, who kills you? The Christ does. What's on the paper? Bad to be a goat. Doesn't work out. Why would anybody... See, this is mind-boggling to me. Why would anybody... Those are scholars of the Bible. Surely they have read this. They must have, and I believe they did. How is it that they said, We're going to get out. And somebody would have been at the meeting. Hey, he looks to me like you're the goat killer. Why do I want to sign up with you? It says right here. Are you saying all this prophecy is wrong? What did Judas say? Yeah. It's not coming true. There's a flaw. What's the flaw? What could Judas slash Satan have said to all of these people to get them to believe it was going to work out? By the way, how many angels fell followed Satan, a third of them, right? I always have asked this, it's the same thing. Anyway, it's long made me wonder why anybody didn't bring this stuff up. This is a hopeless concept, yet somehow, as I said, Satan and Judas get them to rush. They get them dancing, delighted, glad to be a goat. Yay, we're a goat. Give me my goat jersey and my goat hat, and let's run to the goat slaughter. That's what we're doing. How does he get people to do that? Sign up here. Right here. Come be torn to pieces. Filet, flesh literally taken off of you. Come do that. Okay, let's read a little bit. 2 Thessalonians 2. Because this is important. Now, remember, 2 Thessalonians 2 is not something that anybody had. We'll start at verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Okay, Who did Christ call the son of perdition? Only one man called by Christ the son of perdition. Who is it? Judas. Okay. Let no one deceive you by any means, that that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin, who is that? the Antichrist, is revealed Judas. That's how you can read that. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Paul is saying to you that the plan of the Antichrist is to be who? God. And to convince everybody that he's God. Is he able to do it? Yes. That's astonishing to me. Absolutely astonishing. But that's his plan. So Judas is going to tell people that he's God and that he is and and be called God and sit as God in the temple of God. He's going to go into the Holy of Holies. He's going to sit there. It's called the abomination of desolation in Daniel. He's going to sit in the Holy of Holies. He's going to declare that he's the Shekinah glory. And everybody's going to do what? Yeah. Do do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He told them, the Thessalonians, that the son of perdition was going to establish himself as God. So I'm back here with Judas at Gethsemane. What do I think he's trying to do at some point? He's got to be planning. He's got to be heading this way. And now you know what is restraining. There's a key word. Let me put that on the board. There's something restraining this. There's a restraining, a restraining order. We can't do it until the restraining order is taken away. Judas and Satan believed that restraining order is going to be pulled. And it wasn't pulled. That changes lots of things now. They were sure that the restraining... By the way, one of the great prophecies of Revelation is the removal of this restraining order. When that restraining order is removed, lots of things start happening. What's one of the first things that happen? The man of sin is able to come out of the abyss. Right now, he can't come out. He's restrained. There's an order. Can't break it. Can't do it. Okay, let's keep reading. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. In other words, the time isn't now for him to be revealed. That time will come, and there's a restraining stopping it. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who is now restrained, so Christ is the restrainer, will do so until he is taken out of the way. In other words, not not grabbed and taken, but steps aside. So there's going to come a time when Christ says, I'm no longer going to restrain Satan, and I'm going to step aside. And boom, let him go. Judas and Satan thought that was going to happen back when they were mounting their attempt at Gethsemane. They assumed that the restraint that was on them was going away. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Okay? I'll keep going here. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So, we were supposed to have signs, lying wonders, tremendous amounts of power displayed. We were supposed to have Christ remove the restraint and step aside and let all of that happen. But that didn't happen. Obvious question. Why not? Jeff told you already. Kind of stole page 7 from me. I should at least talk to somebody before I write a whole page. It takes a long time. But but that's why. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth and they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. The lie is another name, another nomenclature, another title of the Antichrist. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in, righteous, in unrighteousness. So there again, you see this picture of this delight, this gladness in believing the lie instead of the truth. Okay, now let's go to Revelation 19. I'm giving you more pieces that you should put together here, right? I hope you're putting them together. I'm looking at you. You have these wonderful little smiling faces. Here we are, 19. And I saw faces of joy, contentment, and understanding. Okay, maybe not. And I saw the beast, the king of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him, who sat on the horse, where did he get the horse, and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who was working, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive. Wait a minute. Second Thessalonians says they were killed. First one killed, first one dead, Antichrist, Second Thessalonians 3.12. Now it says they're cast alive. How did it happen? Well, it happens in the 75-day interval. He resurrects the Antichrist, God does, and throws him, Christ does. Same thing, God, Christ, same thing. Christ resurrects him in the 75-day interval before the blessing of the 1335th day and casts him into the lake of fire alive. That's how it goes. So, I gave you a description of what the Antichrist and Satan were going to do, and then a description of Armageddon in one phase of it. And there you have what I believe that they anticipated back at Gethsemane, prior to Gethsemane, if you will, with all their conferences. They thought they had the timeline figured out, but they didn't see something that no one else ever saw either. The Antichrist is the first dead. And we need more information to sort all of this out. Isaiah 14 is one of those. But he is the first dead. And when does he die? Daniel told you when he died. So I'll make the chart. Here we go. Everybody knew on the fourth day from Adam, if you read Jewish history, the Talmud, Midrash, Gamil, everyone knew that the Messiah was supposed to come 4,000 years from Adam. And then they lament. Where did he go? He didn't show up. We thought he was coming. Where, Where is he? He's not here. And so they dismissed the coming of the Antichrist. Okay, so here we are. We're right here. Here's the cross. Here is Gethsemane. That's not proportional. But let's say that's where we are. That's Gethsemane. We just have a few days to the crucifixion. What were they expecting to happen next? They were expecting the restraining to go away. Then what happens, according to Daniel? Daniel tells you in Daniel 12, 11 through 12, that I got two 1260-day periods. 1260 plus 1260, 2520. Divided by 360, because there's 360 days and a Hebrew year, gives me seven years. I'm supposed to have a seven-year thing. What is it? I'm supposed to have the tribulation. So, they expect the tribulation to be right here. But it's not right there, is it? It hasn't come yet. But they had all the math figured out. They knew. They had to know. They still know. I especially believe that because Satan knows when he is cast down how much time he's got. And he gets to work. So he knows now. I believe he thought then. So 2,520 days. Then at the end of that, what's going to happen? Let me erase that. At the end of the 2,520 days, what's going to happen? Revelation 19. Uh, Yeah, but what's going to happen to the Antichrist? He's going to be dead, isn't he? And he's going to be the first one killed. First one killed. So he knows, he knows that he gets a 2,520 day period. And then there's going to be, um, so that's, uh, then there's going to be a 30 and a 45 day period. That's how we get the 75 day interval. We get 1260 plus uh, 30 uh, plus 40 is, uh, ends up. Given us what we need, plus 45, sorry, gives us 17, or the blessing of the 1335th day. That I've done before. If you don't know, come see me about it. But anyway, they expect this seven year period to go right in. And at the end of that 2520 days, then we have the death of the Antichrist. That's what Daniel says. <coughs> okay? And then they're resurrected in the 75-day interval and cast alive into the lake of fire, having already been in the abyss. That makes perfect sense for the Antichrist, but it causes some questions on the identity of the false prophet. Do you know who the false prophet is? People want to know who he is. And there's a lot of speculation about that. Anyway. Those who follow the Antichrist, Scripture is plain. Revelation 19, we just read it. The 2 Thessalonians 2, we just read it. Those who follow the Antichrist will be slain. Isaiah 14 tells us that they are shocked when they see the Antichrist go down. They are shocked. They believed that he was going to do what? They believed he was going to kill God. They believed he was going to defeat God. And they are stunned how quickly he's dead. He's dead so fast it freaks them out. And they, they trample his body trying to get away from Christ. Does it work? No. Christ does what? This isn't very popular, by the way. I'm sure to, if somebody were to hear this that isn't a believer, they would send me. If they could find me and I hide good. But they would send me a nasty little thingy saying, this isn't an uplifting sermon. What is Christ going to do to the billions of people who have gathered behind the Antichrist to kill him, to kill Christ? He's going to slaughter them. They're all dead. And then what's he going to do? He's going to let the birds and the animals eat them. It's a communion service, sort of, for animals. And so that's not a popular message, but that's the truth. That's what's going to happen. Now, I believe, as you know, where where am I headed with this? Scripture is clear. Those who follow the Antichrist are shocked. They are in utter disbelief. They stare in utter disbelief at how quickly and easily he is destroyed. And that makes the obvious question fly out of everywhere. The obvious question is, how could they expect anything else? Or to put it in a better term, how could anyone be so stupid? How could they think this was going to ever work? Now, let me ask a couple of other questions so you see how this all fits together. When Christ was captured, what was the reaction of his disciples? What should have been the reaction? Oh, look at the idiots! Trying to capture God. That should have been the response. The response should have been, let's sit over here with our sodas and our hot dogs and let's watch this. This ought to be cool. But that wasn't their reaction, was it? What was the reaction of the disciples? Panic, despair, fear, disbelief, Right? When Christ gave up his life on the cross, what should the disciples have been doing? We live for eternity. This is the solution to sin. This is great joy. But what were they doing instead? Despair. Fear. All of his followers that were that way, except for two, what two knew this was a good thing? Nicodemus, Joseph, Arimathea. They had it worked out. Good for them. We had a couple of, that's why you've got to study the guy that's carrying the pitcher of water on his head. Follow him. That's a wonderful thing. Anyway, did Christ constantly tell his apostles and his followers that his death was, was imminent, a impending death, and then he would be resurrected? Did he constantly tell them that? He constantly told them that. Did they ever believe him? No. Yet they were still shocked and scattered and afraid in spite of everything he'd said. And when everything Jesus said about his plan of redemption came to pass, they, they scattered like, like little kids. And so what's the obvious question then about the counterfeit plan of Judas slash Satan? If, that is the, if that's what's happening to the followers of Christ, is that going to happen to the followers of Judas? Now, let's think about it. Is this the same dynamic? Is it present in both? Did the followers of the worthless man, Proverbs 6, 12 through 15, also panic and scatter when he died? Because he died, didn't he? He hung himself. Now, what's interesting about it is, can you kill Christ? No, he has to give up his own life. What's the obvious question about Judas then? Can you kill Judas? Can a human being kill Judas? Who has to kill Judas? God, who does kill? Yeah, the Antichrist. God does. Slays him with his breath. Their champion, their Goliath, if you will. See the the symmetry there and the typology of Goliath? So again, will they panic and scatter at the death of the Antichrist or the death of the worthless man? And that's why we read Thessalonians and Revelation and Isaiah. Because of the shock and the utter disbelief. A realization that great judgment is now coming. Slaughter, fear, trembling, dead, Dread, I'm sorry, comes upon the worshippers of the Antichrist. Which makes perfect sense, by the way, Matthew ten twenty eight, Jesus says, don't fear people that can kill the body. Fear me. What do I do? I send the soul to destruction. That's what he says. Now. If you assemble the pieces revealed in Revelation, particularly Revelation 13, the beast, the Antichrist, has what there in Revelation 13? Who knows? He has a death and he has a resurrection. And what does that do to the world? What does the world do when the Antichrist is dead and then he resurrects? What does the world do? Revelation 13. They marvel. And then what does it do? All the world, causes all the world to marvel. And all the world to do something else. All the world to worship the beast. So everybody marvels and everybody worships. And then it says, and follows. Everybody follows. The whole world marvels, the whole world worships, and the whole world follows. And they say, the whole world does. Who is like the beast? Who can kill him? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, no one can kill him. He can't be killed. We worship him as God, which is what the Bible says he will do in Thessalonians. Set himself up as God. And it says he can't be killed. It's not possible to kill him. Who can do it? No man, no created being, ultimately is what they end up saying, can kill him. He cannot be killed. And that last part is being essentially who can defeat this very powerful person. The negative is implied that he cannot be killed. He cannot be defeated. He has He's too powerful. He's almost omnipotent. In fact, he's declared to be omnipotent God. And the world during the tribulation worships the beast as God. Now, take that. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 12. Take Revelation 19, 19 on. Take Isaiah 14 and mix that into the conditions of handing over of Christ at Gethsemane by Satan and Judas. Consider also that no one, no Old Testament prophet as Jeffy said, not Daniel, not Isaiah, not Ezekiel, none, no prophet, none of them saw what we call the great parentheses. They all saw They saw the crucifixion of the Christ followed immediately by what? The tribulation. They did not see, Jeffy described it beautifully, this valley that is the gathering and the harvesting of the church, and then the tribulation. See, the tribulation is here, not here. So far, how long has it been? 2,000 years, right? Depends on where you count from. Most people count from 29 A.D. So, therefore, it would be a little under 2,000 years. But that's the point, is that uh, the tribulation got moved, if you will, shifted that far. Everyone expected it to be right here. And instead, it's here. Yes, sir? Yeah, here it is. They really are. And he's going to kill the Romans for sure. That's what we're going to have. And instead, he doesn't. He sacrifices himself. Okay, after he sacrifices himself, then he kills everybody, right? Resurrected himself. Okay, now go kill the Romans. No. We have this great parenthesis that not a single prophet saw. And that tells me that somebody else didn't see it. And who might that be? Judas and Satan didn't see it. You know, they're reading and they're listening. They're in church as much as they can be. They don't miss church. You probably tithe. I'm I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Those of you who are listening by internet, please uh, recognize that that was my attempt at humor. Okay. That was given to the Apostle Paul. To know that there's a parenthesis, a gathering of the church, that's given to Paul. That's mystery number three. That's Ephesians 3, 3-6. through 6. That's the union of the Jew and the Gentile in the body of Christ. So Judas and Satan did not know this. Just as they did not know that the solution to sin was God and man in the hypostatic union. But they did know many things. They did know that they had a 2,520 day period of time that they could kill as many people as they could kill. They did also a new scoreboard. You know, I, that's an athletic term. Somebody will say, "Well, you didn't. You, we have a better team than you. We got better coach than you. Our cheerleaders more attractive than your cheerleaders. We got nicer cars." And of course, you won. And you say, hey, "Look at the scoreboard." Well, that's what Judas and Satan are doing. Essentially, they're saying scoreboard. In other words, the followers of Satan, with respect to humanity, vastly outnumber the followers of God, the followers of Christ, and it ain't close. If you're counting by who's following who, who Satan is slaughtering God. That's why I said only a third of the angelic host fell, followed Satan. Two-thirds saved. The percentage of unsaved humanity, I would guess, unsaved humanity, 95%. It's probably higher than that. God usually has but what? What does he always have? He has a little remnant, right? Seventy people go into Egypt. You know, you hear Dr. Fruchtenbaum talk. He doesn't believe there's there's over 150,000 saved Jews out of the millions that are in the world. Therefore, Satan and Judas were expecting the pattern to continue. And that pattern being the tremendous evil. This is the pre-flood conditions, right? Tremendous evil, great wickedness, horrible violence. they got seven years to just tear the place apart and kill everybody. Oh, God will get his little remnant. No big deal. But we're going to get everybody else and they're all going to die. And not only are they all going to die, we're going to assemble them before God and we're going to make God kill them. That will be cool. And so they have this great wickedness, this great evil, this great violence until God intervenes just like the pre flood condition, though it won't be a flood this time. That's no added covenant. And it all begins where? When is it about? Oh man, we're right there. We get to start. We're almost in the 2,520 days when the restraining goes away and we start slaughtering people. And it all starts when? The handover at Gethsemane going to start, baby. we only got a couple of days to Christmas. I asked Bill as we're driving home the other day, is there anything in his life that he goes, I just can't wait for that. And I'm in the same place as he is. There's nothing left for me. Sorry. It'll happen to you. I like to do some things, but there's no more Christmas. You know, when you were a kid, (laughs) I just can't wait to get there. Well, That doesn't happen for me anymore, but that's what's happening for Judas and Satan. They just think it's right here, and they get to destroy billions of people. In those days, it was hundreds of millions, but they didn't know. So the handing over starts the process, starts the clock. If I'm right, what did Judas and Satan expect at Gethsemane? Because I believe that Gethsemane typifies Armageddon, in other words, what's happening in Armageddon, we see a little picture of it at Gethsemane. Did they have to call a post Gethsemane emergency meeting because it didn't go the way they thought it was going to go, okay If so, how was the confidence level amongst the Pharisees, the scribes, and the captains now? Things aren't really working out you they got him he he's bound, but you say. Some, he said something. What if he says it again? That's my question. I got him tied up. What if he says, I am again? What happens? Everybody hits the ground. That, by the way, is exactly what happens at Gethsemane, or at Armageddon, right? Everybody's dead. But they didn't die. By the way, who fell first at Gethsemane? Who was the first one on the ground? Judas was. How confident are you now in Judas if you're part of his team? Okay. By the way, that's mercy. What if he says it again? Ultimately, however, they stay the course. They stick to the script somehow. And how could they? We've got to ask that. But now we have Judas and Satan throwing the blood money. They identify Judas now as the possessor of the blood money. And therefore, he's who? He's identified by that crowd that sees him. He's the one, throws the money, and they all say what? He's the Messiah. And that makes perfect sense because in Matthew 12, 24, the Pharisees said that Jesus Christ was who? He was Beelzebub. He's the worthless shepherd. They've already identified him. Now Judas shows up. He throws the money. That is the beginning of the idle shepherd, good shepherd choice that occurs. How many are going to choose God. Very small. Great big group are going to choose Satan. Okay, now the next thing that Judas does after he gives that speech and throws that money in front of that multitude, what's he do next? What's he do next? He goes and hangs himself. Why does he hang himself? How do you kill him? He goes and hangs himself, and he's pierced. And those two events are very, very witnessed. Everyone knows about both of them. Everyone knows that he threw the money. Everyone heard the speech. Everyone knows he had the money. Everyone knows that he has those wages, and therefore he's identified as the Messiah. And then he goes and hangs himself. That doesn't seem to make sense. But that hanging has to be connected to what? Revelation 13. Revelation 13 says what? The death of the Antichrist is followed by the what of the Antichrist? The resurrection of the Antichrist, and then what happens? If Gethsemane typifies Revelation 19, then after the throwing of the money, after the delivery, after the speech, naturally would come the hanging, because what's the point of the hanging? To get the entire nation to worship. Yes, ma'am, quickly. Yes and then the whole Jewish nation follows him, which would explain Zechariah 11 okay I got to read this and then we'll be done. So musical people that does not include me though I pretend. Let me read this Matthew 12:38. See, because what's the hanging and the resurrection? What is it? It's a sign, isn't it? A very public sign. And he would hang himself, wouldn't he? Because he wouldn't let himself be killed, because people would then think that he could be killed, and he wouldn't want them to think that he could be killed. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Christ, essentially, and they said this. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you that proves you're the Messiah. And Christ says, He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The hanging of Judas has to be a sign. But Jesus Christ does not Release. He maintains the restraining that is on Satan because he has the unseen parentheses that is followed by the tribulation. They don't get that. What restraining hand do we have now in the world? Because Christ is gone. What's restraining the Antichrist from coming? What's restraining? Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit, right? And the tribulation doesn't happen. Instead, we get what? What do we get now instead? What do we get? We ain't get a sign. Restraining wasn't taken. What do we get? Yeah, we get to wait. Don't you love waiting? What's waiting? Time. You got time. What's time? Mercy. That's what that is. He could have blew it up right here. If he did, what's happening to you and me? Die, Charlie. No luck for you. You big problems. We don't even exist. We got to be happy about this. We got time. No one saw the time. Here's where the special Mother's Day thing is. Mercy and love is what we got. That makes us think about Mom. Proverbs 31:10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Flax is a symbol for something. She is like the merchant's ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid for her household. For all her household is clothed with blood. That's the word for the crimson worm there. And she is clothed in blood, which means what? She is a saved woman who knows that Christ is God. That's the end of today. Next week, I'll answer the last two questions. Okay. Page 99, yielding.